Hello, my friends. Nick Labretti here for JR Cigars. And here at JR, we are passionate about everything. You want cigars? We're passionate about Romeo, Monte Cristo, Aging Room. You're passionate about cigar cutters, lighters? We have everything. We are passionate about life here at JR Cigars and only here at JR Cigars. Did we get it? I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? I'm out here busting my hump. I got Mike guy in here. Get this freaking camera out of the way. At JR Cigars, we're passionate about everything. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is Friday night. Friday night herf on the dojo. It's what we do, Jordan. It's what herf. we do every week, every Friday. We can't stop we, herfing. It's, somebody stop somebody stop. It's episode 348 of Smoke Night Live. 348. We have a special guest in studio, Lenny Eckstein. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to... Uh, to zip on up from uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, to what join us. Buena Vista, if you're local. Okay. Ooh. So, uh, here's the Instant thing. correction. Here's the thing, Lenny, you're, you're going to learn about me. If there's any possible way that I can pronounce it wrong, I will find a way. So, um, <laughs> just so you know that. Uh, we're going to get into whiskey here in a minute. Uh, a couple housekeeping items real quick. Uh, folks, there is a Crux brand badge on the Dojoverse now. So, check into your favorite Crux cigars that just went live today. Here's the cool thing about this brand badge, you guys. There's 10 versions. If you keep get, if you keep earning them, you get a different version up until, what, 90 check-ins, Jordan? Something like that? So, it's a fun brand badge to earn, plus they make some tasty cigars. Go Crux yourself. My No, that isn't their... That it's not their tagline anymore. You're wrong. It's no, uh, find your crux. find your crux is their new tagline. By the way, now I you can find your bat crux bat. I like that tagline so much oh, better yeah. than go crux yourself. <laughs> I did not like that. It's like a pejorative. He's like, yeah, go. Jeez. You know, I, I didn't like that one as much. But find your crux. They make some great. My favorite is the du connoisseur. That is an excellent cigar. So uh, also the epicure. Those are my two favorites. So. Anyways, that's new today on the dojo. Go check that out. Hey, real quick, guys. Uh, this show is dedicated to none other than our good buddy, Scott Brayband. Uh, he is recovering well. He's a one tough redneck. He's the toughest redneck west of the Mississippi. So he he's going to be fine. But he did go through some pretty extensive uh, surgery. And if you guys want to uh, help out, um, we've posted the link several times today on the dojo verse where you can um, uh, get in this raffle. Uh, it, it's a win-win. You get in the raffle, and you might win an incredible prize. But the most important thing is, is the entire proceeds, not a portion, not a little bit, not a percentage, but literally every single dollar is going to go to help. Uh, you know, it's tough when um, you are you have a family, and all of a sudden you're down to one income for a couple of months because of, of – a medical issue. So we want to try to help out in any way we can. And obviously Scotty is normally here in our studio audience Scotting. right now. Matt's sitting over there. Matt, how are you doing? Matt himself. Look at his face. Oh, look at that face. He, you can't probably see it from there, but his face is recovering too. Cause he was in a bad car accident. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how are you doing, Maddie? 
Yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah. Good. Happy to be here. It's a little lonely over there it's without so you and Scotty. I'm missing. Yeah, he's he's normally there, right there bugging you, kicking you in the shin. Yep. yep. Are you ready to drink some whiskey tonight? I'm always ready. So we've got we have got some some whiskey tonight, and I'm so excited to have this guest because when we were at Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, I was bouncing around to all the different, uh, you know, Colorado whiskeys, and there's like Colorado's coming. It's coming along. I, I've been critical of Colorado whiskeys in the past, but when I went over to the Deer Hammer, oh by the way, yeah, please click like and subscribe to the show. Thank you very much. Share the show. Heck, share the show to your uh, to your friends. Let's bring on some new viewers. Uh, that always helps. But I was bouncing around, Jordan, mm -hmm. uh, Rocky Mountain Cigar as Fest, you do. as I do. And right across from us was the Deer Hammer booth. And I just went over there, kind of like, yeah, I'll just get Was it the this. name that called you over? Kind of. It's a, Deer it's a, it's a super a cool name, cool and it's super cool branding. But when, Lenny, when you gave me the tasting, I was like, oh, like this is like really unique and didn't really strike me as the prototypical cigar or I mean, Colorado um, distilled whiskey, very unique. And so I was like, you know what? We got to get you on the show. And so you were nice enough. You said, Hey man, I'll just drive up. I'll hang out with you guys in the studio. We'll do a show together. And here you are. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, not, it's a downhill roll the whole way from, you know, and, and at that event, uh, I, I feel like that your uh, comments to our offerings, very welcome, because the typical comment we get is, that's actually not bad. Like, <laughs> Can you believe oh, it? Okay. I, I <laughs> we strive for that? Maybe, maybe it's because, um, Lenny, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it's because so, so often um, the local whiskeys... And we kind of talked about this a little bit before the show. It's sort of like, okay, we're going to try to do we're going to try to do what other whiskey companies do, um, but that's not really your strategy. Your strategy is, hey man, I want to have some fun. I want to have some fun with this. I want to try unique flavor combinations. Try to bring something sort of new to the table. Maybe that's what grabs people. Yeah, no, I think so. And and that is really, uh, you know, kind of the tenet that we get behind with Deer Hammer and. Sometimes it gets into trouble because when you get too creative, it can go a little haywire and uh, doesn't always meet the mark for everyone. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing better, I think, than you know pouring what we put so much work into and surprising people. Having having it catch them off guard is something totally different. But you know, big flavor, big finish. And now you got to give us an example. What's something too, that was too weird that you did that people were like, "Whoa." That's I mean, too weird. I, I got a sample I brought for you guys that you can try. But uh, one example would be our, our first year rye production. You know, we colored way too far outside lines. And mm. the result was something that just didn't taste like rye. It's, uh, you know, really dark and roasty. And, you know, it, it makes a great blending component. But, you know, if, if you play it safe, you can make some nice whiskey. If you want to get crazy, yeah, every once in a while, it's going to go a little haywire. But I think we were very lucky in that our first offering, what we make the most of, and I'll talk more about it, but our American single malt, um, you know, I hate to say anything was a home run, but that really like hit the mark we were after right out of the gates. You know, people say, uh, there's a saying, what is it like? You can't make an omelet if you don't break some eggs. But to be honest, you can't even make a crappy omelet if you don't break eggs. I mean, like that's not a really a great saying. What, but what you're saying is I, I'm, I'm going to make this omelet, but I'm going to, 
I'm going to, I'm going to push the boundaries. I, I want people to taste something maybe unique and different and set myself apart. So we're going to get into some of these. We're going to, I've got basically the whole lineup in front of me here and we're going to kind of go through, um, these and I'll have Lenny talk about them as we get into, as we get into it. And in the second half of the show, we're going to do some blind tasting. And these are some whiskeys that are not Lenny's and both he and I will, um, We'll taste them, we'll talk about them, and then we'll rank them, and then we'll uh, unveil them, see how we... I, I guess there's no way to... There's no right or wrong answer, Jordan. But we'll just see There how, is a right answer. There is? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, see how, <laughs> we'll see how we rank them. So, uh, but let's start first, Lenny, with a, just a little bit of history. Company founded in 2010. What made you... Like, there's a lot of things you can get into in life. Um, what made you get into being a distiller? How did it all come to be? So uh, my background certainly wasn't in distilling from a family perspective. Um, in my career started in my early 20s. I was a graphic designer out of art school. Okay. And, uh, you know, that in itself was uh, very rewarding from the perspective of an outlet for creativity. Um, you know, you get to make some cool things, but at the same time, you're behind a computer and you're not making anything physical. So I was always after some kind of physical connection or, or an outlet. And, uh, you know... Um, Drank my fair share of beer through college, and always yeah. was fast. Yeah, always fascinated by that. Um, I, you now know, you did some beer, right? You started doing. Yeah, well, not professionally necessarily. Just I mean, kind of homebrew kind of. Stuff. Yeah, I was I was homebrewing, which was which is uh, very legal, and it was a. It's a there's a lot of hobbyist brewers out there, and I think that's really driven the brewing industry in some positive ways, where innovation was done on the super small scale, and so many brewers on the home level took the jump to brewing on the professional level, be it a nanobrewery, microbrewery, whatever, uh, that they ultimately worked their way up into. Distilling, not so easy. You're not supposed to distill at home. Uh, I don't know too many distillers that jumped into it without some uh, practical experimentation. <laughs> right. yeah. um, Off the record. I've always, yeah. always wanted to try that, but then I just feel like I would kill myself. You know, I feel like <laughs> pumping gas is more dangerous. To be really? Honest. Okay. Yeah, really? yeah, cooking might be more dangerous. Uh, not well, yeah. I mean, if you use one of those like pressure... Pots, those things explode all the time, Jordan. You could probably, uh, yeah, yeah. But so, so there was at one point in your life you're like, all right, this, this is where I want to go. This is a major undertaking because, unlike, um, you know, heck, a million other kind of fun crafts at home, there is some equipment required and such, and so you had to make a leap. Yeah, I mean that's very true. And then you know, like as I was saying, I started out in the on the brewing side started to make the connections of uh, how similar the processes were with regards to understanding grain utilization uh, to formulate a recipe, fermentation. And really from there, distilling is just extracting the guts and all the deliciousness out of a beer minus the hops. Uh, so I felt like I had a lot of the process down. Now I should say uh, my feeling that was totally ignorant on my part. I, I barely had any of it down, but I had enough down to think I can do this. You know, what's the worst that'll happen? That's you know what? If people never thought that, then nothing cool would ever get made. <laughs> Absolutely right. Like at the, all the cool stuff in the world that's made, somebody somewhere had down the line had to think just like right. you did right then. No SpaceX without <laughs> right yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of that, and uh, it, there was really this this crux point where I thought um, crux point. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, it was either like Go do it or don't, yourself. you know, and, um, right. I just started telling people I was doing, it was the, the motivator. Mm. Once it's on record, you know, you gotta go. So once you said I'm doing this and not only did it 
let the world know and your friends know. But it was like now personally, like Absolutely. I have to kind of do this. Yeah, too much pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what did your What did your family think? I know your wife's part of the the biz. Were Were they like, dude? What are you What are you, what are you thinking, man? I don't think anyone understood. Okay, I mean, you know, for me, this is like 2010. Craft distilling, uh, Colorado across the country. You know, certainly there were predecessors far before that, but that's when it really started to gain some uh, upswell and people were getting into it. And you know, for for me and what ultimately became Deerhammer and a lot of other folks in the same time frame. I, you know, I oftentimes think of like the very first generation of Colorado distilleries as like you know Stranahan's and Peach Street and Montagna Rum. Uh, I think Deerhammer and myself, my efforts, we were, I was part of the second generation. Okay. And second wave. Yeah. Second wave. Um, uh, you know, but a lot of folk where they thought I was crazy. I kind of thought I was a little crazy. I just figured I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, and worst off it fails. What's what's the worst that'll happen? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I wasn't going to be a graphic designer anymore. I was becoming a terrible employee and, uh, it, it was time to move on. So it was, uh, make whiskey hopefully people like it or i was gonna try to get a job at the hardware store down the street in pv something i don't know that was nothing wrong with that either good plan b maybe uh the name deer hammer uh help us with that how did that come to be what's what's the significance that's the hardware store part yeah (laughs) Mm, Um, i get it yeah i mean we always try to assign a tall tale of sorts to it but i'm not a very good liar the truth of the matter we wanted to so deer hammer we're in the town of buena vista and my wife amy and i you know Yeah, and I'll get to that. Um, we were new to the town, and and you know, in having lived in mountain towns before, we got a sense that Buena Vista was a very welcoming town, had a great community. Uh, we're stoked for anyone that was coming to town to do something because at the time, you know, our distilleries right on East Main Street, most of the shops were boarded up. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, we were looking for a name that would pay some kind of tribute to the town, and in looking through the history, one of the original uh, settlers of the town. Uh, had the namesake Deerhammer, and uh, it was a woman, Alcina Deerhammer, and she actually was the one who. What? Put- That's a freaking great last Whoa. name, man. Baller last name, way better. Oh, yeah, Eckstein. Nobody's buying Eckstein. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was, uh, you know, we, we saw that. Mm. My wife saw it. She was like, "That's a great name." And I, mm. I thought about it for uh, you know thirty minutes before I fell asleep. Woke up next morning, and that was it. And uh, you know, it, you know, to the point of Buena Vista, this woman, Alcina Deerhammer. Um, she was the one who proposed the name Buena Vista, as in beautiful Buena Vista. So certainly not the correct Spanish pronunciation, but uh, that's what it is. Now, um, some of the uh, initial equipment, if not some of the ones you still use to this day, you you actually built yourself. Yeah. So yeah. like this isn't like this isn't like one of those deals where like Lenny comes in, he's like a you know a kid of like some billionaire and just buys all this crazy equipment. Like you're you're literally, you know. Mm-hmm putting your, your your you know your hands to the hammer the deer hammer so to speak you're building building some of the equipment that you distill in yeah so like back to the point of when we started in 2010 i think there were a lot of really great things about starting during that time um because starting a distillery now would be way harder with where the market has evolved and what the consumer base really expects but back then when i'm looking to who's done this before and Am I crazy for thinking that I can do this? Uh, everyone was super supportive, which I'm glad they were. But the guy who might have been the most supportive and instrumental uh, was this gentleman who ran a very small distillery, I think in outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. 
he ran out of a shed and I called him and talked to him. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking. I barely have any money to make this happen. Do you think I can do it? And he was like, go for it. Definitely. And, uh, I mean, I've come to find out that that was, it wasn't, it was bad advice. I'm glad I got that advice, but the shoestring that we built deer hammer on to start, mm. it might've been the shortest shoestring next to this guy, Ernest Garana that I chatted with. Wow. Um, yeah, I think we were in it for like maybe 50 K and we were distilling whiskey. You know, the cool thing about that though, Lenny is had you not gone that route, you may have never, you know, it might've never got off the ground. Like sometimes no if you, you know, you got to do whatever it is that you got to do to get going. And so, uh, d does any of that equipment you still use? Mm. Um, no, I'm going to say almost no. Um, okay. so the original equipment, like, uh, you know, a lot of it came in the form, just like a lot of breweries in the form of old dairy tanks or other stainless process right. tanks. And, uh, I just bought the cheapest stuff I could find, uh, you know, cleaned it, repassivated it, get the stainless steel back in shape, found local welders that would help me hack it apart and weld things back together. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff was really scaled up versions of what homebrew equipment looked like you know, on a 15 gallon setup. Only I had like a 300 gallon setup at this point. Um, tons of things went wrong. I mean, you know, I get questions of like big mistakes I've made. And the hardest part about answering that is the sheer amount of massive mistakes I've made. But the original equipment, uh, super low budget, super janky, um, embarrassing to look at. And it only yielded, uh, despite my napkin math that I thought would work, um, <laughs> I was filling one barrel per month. Uh, and that's a quarter cask, so like 25 to 30 gallons of whiskey. Hmm. So clearly that wasn't going to go anywhere. But it was nice in that I got to start as cheap as possible and really know what we want, where we wanted to go from there. So rather than blowing a million bucks on, you know, the Ferrari of stills right. and stuff. Now, with that in mind, knowing knowing how you started, and and now you you walk into a total wine, and you see your product on the shelf and it's gorgeous. I mean, the, this the the lineup is absolutely gorgeous. The Thanks. the marketing, the presentation, it's amazing. <laughs> It's got to feel amazing when you walk into, you know, a, a larger retailer like a Total Wine or somewhere and you and you see the product on the shelf. I mean, talk about, a little bit about how that feels when you walk in and you see the fruit of the labor and it's right there. And yeah, I mean, well, it's been like, you know, 10 to 12 years now, so it's starting to sink in. But I mean, I definitely cried a few times. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I'm shed, a yeah, shed, yeah, was, shed a tear. Shed a tear. It's crazy. Uh, it's a weird thing. It's it's weird to the first time we loaded up cases of bottles onto a pallet and put it in the distributor's truck, and we got a check. Yeah, right. that's bonkers, whoa. We're getting so. paid for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is something. Hey, man, they're gonna give us money for this. Let, I'm gonna let, show them off. Yeah, we're gonna show them off here. Uh, I'm gonna start. Um, so this is pretty much the entire lineup, right, Lenny? Yeah, for the yeah, most part. I think, uh, yeah, more um, or less. Yeah. All right, so let's start with this one. Um, you can just. Give us a few uh, sentences or two about each one. Yeah. This is the Hickory Smoked Whiskey. Now, take a look at that, folks. That's a beautiful-looking bottle. Talk about that, Lenny. What yeah. do we got here? So a, a big part of our path in what we put out is looking at what's what's been done, why it's been done, how it's being done, and then what we can bring, uh, what kind of value we can bring in flavor and, and just unique expression. So corn whiskey is a very you know relevant historical category of whiskey in this country just not a lot of people doing it of course some yeah absolutely it's um you know it's not that dissimilar from bourbon it's it's primarily corn in our case it's 100 percent corn but the one big variation with corn whiskey in this country is that it cannot be aged in charred new oak it has to be aged in used oak 
Oh, mm, it's interesting. kind of a flipping bourbon on its head a little bit. Um, but our take here was. Oh. I like that. Yeah, yeah. This is a neat one. It's it's actually uh, we make the least of this. We sell the least of it, and it's typically our most popular at whiskey festivals. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once people try it, it's it's so. What's cool about it? We get 100% Colorado grown corn. It's grown down the Four Corners region, and 10% of that corn we cold smoke in house uh, with actually a smoker we built. It's probably the last piece of equipment that we built, uh, you know, on our own. Um, so we smoke it for about six to eight hours with hickory. And that goes into the mash, so sour mash, four-day open ferment, double pop distill, and then matured and used oak. In this case, this one's four years old. Okay. Um, so it was a playoff of, you know, in, in Scotland, they have peat smoke. We wanted to do our own thing, try to do something definitively American. This one, this actually uh, grabs your attention pretty quick. Like, right off right off the get-go, it, uh, it, it does grab you. And I like that. I wasn't expecting that much flavor out of that one. Because it's it's a very light uh, color to it. Yes. But um, that one actually has a lot more flavor than you expect. All right, let's move on to the. Oh, let's go to the bourbon next. Um, so here's here's the uh, deer. Oops, the deer hammer Take bourbon, folks. Um, a bourbon, Lenny. This is uh, this is the uh, this That's is what, what we're talking about. This is what the dojo brags about all the time. Jordan, go to sexy cam there. Uh, we are big Blabin. bourbon fanatics. It's it's got to be tricky trying to uh make a bourbon because everybody's so used to what they like in a bourbon right like everybody has their you know favorite buff trace product or or old forester or something talk a little bit about your bourbon the four grain bourbon right so again our approach with bourbon you know there's so much good stuff coming out of kentucky and really the rest of the world now uh, or country i should say certainly not the world uh because it's got to be out of america um our approach was you know, let's play around with this. What can we do different? So we went with the four grain bourbon, uh, not all that unique in itself, but we went with a grain bill of approximately 60% Colorado corn, 20% wheat, 90, 10% oats. I'm screwing the math up. I do that all the time. Right. Basically corn, oats, wheat, and crystal malt and chocolate malt. Um, so malted barley. Um, early on, uh, our earliest bourbons contained a little bit of, again, hickory smoked oats. Uh, in the grain bill. So while we blend some of our oldest bourbon that's at this point, like four and a half years with some of our younger bourbon, you're getting a tiny hint of that smoke. But in general, I think of this as kind of a roasty winter bourbon, definitely a lot of spicy notes, but not something familiar as, you know, the Kentucky style that might have more fruit notes or, you know, other. Uh, I, I think the sort of the brilliant thing that you've done, Lenny, is because you've taken a little bit of a different take on it, you're not trying so hard to compare it to the Kentucky ones that we're so used to. Like um, it has a, a fun, unique flavor that is uh, grabs your attention, like almost instantly, but I'm not saying, Oh, like uh, this is a little different than buff trace or, you know, like that, like you, you've got a, almost your whole lineup. You have a little bit of a different take on stuff that we're used to, but it's just enough different to, you know, grab your attention, add some interest to it. Yeah. And you know, if we were, uh, we wouldn't be a heritage brand, but if we were a new brand that went big and really had to cover the country slash world, you know, we'd have some problems. Like the billboards aren't going to explain why our bourbon tastes so different, but at our production, we make one barrel a day. I mean, that's pretty small and it, it suits us well in terms of the scale of our company and where we're trying to go. But one of the nice things is like, you know, we can put a off the wall bourbon out there and 
we sell what we make. It's uh, it's a little it's it's a little bit comparable to craft brewers where they, you know, you might go to your local, um, you know, your local brewery and they're just doing stuff all the time, and you're you're kind of having you're kind of doing that same thing. Like I'm I'm not tied to any one thing. I can be a little more experimental, a little more fluid, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, definitely took a lot of inspiration there. But one of the nice things about, you know, distilled spirits and whiskey, bourbon, it can sit on the shelf. And I've got a lot of bottles in my cabinet. You guys do as well. It's nice to have something out there. So whether it's, uh, you know, an emotion or a season or, or just a friend comes over and you say, hey, you know what you need to try is check this out. It's nice right. to be that outlier to have those kinds of qualities. Uh, Patrick yes. Lover uh, wants to know, where do you get the water from? Okay, good question. Coffee. Uh, so, so I'm going to try to not hate on too many. Rain makes s- corn. corn yeah. Makes um, yeah. So we we're in Buena Vista. Our water comes from Cottonwood Lake, which is just a few miles up the road. And, you know, it is snow melt. Um, we're the first ones to get it in terms of we're the first town that pulls off of that. Um, I, I oftentimes think of like, what are the really impactful aspects of making whiskey? And uh, I rank water as impactful as atmosphere. Like, if you can't breathe air, you're not going to be able to make whiskey. And if you don't have water, you can't make whiskey. But neither, unless it's unless one is really terrible, the water's got to be really bad mm-hmm. to not be able to make whiskey with. Because you could always run it through an RO filter, uh, which a lot of breweries do. And, you know, some distilleries deal with that. But the bottom line is you're getting Rocky Mountain Spring water and not Coors. Yeah. No not Coors. This is, by the way, uh, just real quick uh, notes on. All right, I'm going to say it wrong again. <laughs> Buena, 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 beautiful, no, Buena Vista. Bu- okay, I so beautiful. You, I think that's just your Philly accent coming through. Uh, I think it's Buena. Yeah. <laughs> Buena Vista <laughs> is a. Okay, guys, it's a beautiful little town, and it's south. Um, how would you describe it? It's it's past Colorado Springs. It's I mean the way I used to describe it. If you're looking at a map of Colorado and pick the middle, you're picking Buena Vista. Okay, right. It's smack in the middle. Smack so in the middle of Colorado. South of and there's Leadville. there's some really cool towns around it. There's Salida, which is a really cool kind of hipster town, and then there's Mount Princeton, which has like really cool like hot springs and stuff. Like there's a whole bunch of really cool uh, towns around there. Now speaking of spicy, let's move right into the rye, which is really spicy. Uh, Lenny, um, talk about your rye real quick. Um, we had this before the show. By the way, I've had all these before the show, and so if I say anything stupid, I blame <laughs> I blame Lenny. Jordan, go to sexy cam real quick here. There's the rye. Talk about your rye, Lenny. Yeah, so the rye, uh, it's made with three grains. It's San Luis Valley-grown rye, Elbon rye. That's a strain that grows uh, well in Colorado, but also has a unique flavor, different than a lot of the rye grain that's used in the majority of ryes that people taste. It also uses oats, which aren't commonly used in distilling anymore, but historically they were very well used in Irish whiskeys. They lend a you know, a good viscosity, really nice flavor, uh, almost like a honey nut Cheerio note. And uh, we round that out as well with crystal malt, which is basically malted barley that's kilned a little darker. So it's like putting white bread in a toaster oven. Mm. Tastes a little bit nicer. Okay. Um, so yeah, all double pot distilled as well. Um, same you know, fermentation, pot still distillation process. Now, the the last two that we're going to get into, I think this is sort of what you're mainly known for. Yeah. Um, your single malts. And I got to say, um, I'll save the I'll save my favorite for last. But these these are phenomenal. Lenny. Um, we'll start with the single malt, just the regular uh, single malt here. 
And uh, so describe to folks, if they're not aware, what exactly is a single malt and the challenge with that and what they might expect from this particular offering. Jordan, go to sexy cam real quick. Sexy cam. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about single malt is uh, it's still not an official category in this country, uh, but it's on the path to become one within the next few months. So next few months. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So I don't. Wow. I don't know if everybody realizes this, but all these styles, be it bourbon, rye, uh, corn whiskey, wheat whiskey, these are all defined by the government, and they're essentially law that defines what they can be. Uh, there is a category for malt whiskey in this country, and that has to be at least 51% malted barley and more or less follow the same rules of like distilled under 160 proof, Aiden Chardonnay Oak. The government has uh, put up with so many craft distillers that decided they wanted to call a product American single malt that their take was like, you can call it American single, but that doesn't mean anything. The malt whiskey part is what's important. So American single, malt whiskey. Mm. Um, There's been so much uh, over the years production of this by mainly smaller distillers, but the big guys are starting to get in now too. And I feel like everybody's heard of scotch. Yeah, single malt. Oh, yes, it's not sure. like this unknown thing. We just haven't had the category uh, all that, except in this country, as the American point of production yet. Mm. So, the government's put out their standards of what will make this category, and it's basically what we follow. And that is, uh, it's got to be made in the U.S. It's okay. got to be made by one distillery, a hundred percent malted barley, uh, distilled under one hundred and sixty proof, and everything's kind of open from there. So that's what we do. Now our grain bill is a little different. I mentioned I came from something of a beer tradition. And uh, truth be told, I was taking a lot of beers I made unhopped and distilling them and seeing what happened. And some of my favorite results were coming from stouts and porters, like the stuff with the dark roast grain in it. Uh, so that's become something that we leverage a lot. But in our American single malt, the grain bill is comprised of 80% pale malt, which would be the same malt barley that goes in just about every whiskey that utilizes malt. Uh, and then even split of... Uh, light crystal malt, which gives it a bit of a honey note. Dark crystal gives it kind of a raisiny note. And then chocolate malt rounds it out with a kind of a chocolate coffee note. Um, so we do all that. One of the other differences with single malt is uh, the process of separating the liquid from the grain. Whereas with bourbon and rye, you leave the grain in there as a slurry. Single malt, you pull the liquid off and it, it mm. removes some of that heavy grainy character, the grassy notes that you'd get otherwise. Now that uh, before we go to our last uh, offering, uh, that does sort of bring us to this question that our good buddy Randy Griggs, host of Flavor Odyssey, he said you've got to ask this question. So in the in the cigar biz, um, when you do cigars, it's really oriented. A lot of it, I mean, the, the really good cigars are really oriented towards not just certain farms, but actually certain areas of farms. Like you, you might get. Um, a wrapper for this particular cigar and you just, you want it, this actual sort of acre of this farm, like this is, it's near a river or whatever. It's, it's, it's a part of that farm that you really want. And so that's really a granule way to make the cigar be consistent all of, all of those years, because we get it just right from here in a single malt. How much thought goes into like getting the grain from specific areas or is it just pretty much like by the time you've you've made the mash bill and whatnot it's it really doesn't matter a ton like how how much thought goes into those specific grains from specific plots of land well with regards to barley in particular uh historically in this country this is like a little geeky but uh the strain of barley that was used for let's say bourbon production would have been six row and the reason for that versus two row 
is that Six Row Barley has... Uh, right, Randy's loving this right now, I can tell you. <laughs> this is for you, Randy. He's this is just for you, Griggs. Uh, well, it's got more enzymatic potential. It's referred to as diastatic power. So what we're talking about here is the whole process of whiskey is taking grain, which is basically starch, and converting that starch to a fermentable sugar. So historically, people would use a little bit of Six Row Barley in their bourbon because corn doesn't have a naturally occurring enzyme to make that happen. Six Row barley, malted barley, doesn't have the most flavor. Um, over the years, brewers use two-row malted barley. So while that has uh, less diastatic power, if you're using all malted barley, that's not a problem because it'll all convert. Now, uh, to the point of the question as far as like, is there an effect of the region it's grown in, maybe the hillside or uh, you know whatever other characteristics, uh, that's a hard one to tell because we don't get to sample it in whiskey for years to come, mm. but uh, you can in beer. So what we typically do with Deer Hammer is utilize uh, more brewing-specific grain that is known for its flavor potential and its aromatics oh, okay. and all of that quality. Same thing with our corn. You know, we're the standard corn profile would be a commodity corn. Uh, it's a feed grade, yellow number two dent corn, and it makes a phenomenal bourbon. But if you want to do something different, you can look at you know, heirloom varieties of corn, or in our case, we use uh, a food grade corn, one that would be used for, I don't know, tortillas or, or cornmeal or cornbread. Uh, so there's just inherently more flavor there. Does that mean make a better bourbon than Four Roses? I'm going to say no. I mean, I really like what Four Roses does, right. but we're trying our, to do our own damn thing. And, right. uh, you know, so that's part of it. Um, you know, but with regards to regionality, I think one of the most important things, and I'll go back to like one of the more impactful things, um, there's a quality of our, the grain, the recipe, the process, uh, but in the fermentation, you know, yeast matters. But another thing that's overlooked a lot is uh, there's a reason why distilleries do open ferments, whereas you'll see in breweries, they're always closed and sanitary. What's happening in that open ferment is initially the ferment, you know, the yeast eating all of that sugar and spitting out alcohol or ethanol. Uh, but that only takes about two days, and we let it go four to five days. And what happens after that initial fermentation is the settling in of any native flora or so you may get like pollen floating through and that kind of stuff kinda, or what. But the main thing, so like uh, yeast is fungus. Yeast sounds better than saying I've got a fungal contribution. I guess. <laughs> but, but then the other big thing, after, nobody says I have a fungal infection that often. <laughs> they do. Anyways. Yeah, but after the, after that, the next thing is a bacterial introduction okay. by way of lactobacillus, which occurs on the grain. It occurs in the air. But here's something badass. Lacto will sour and lend organic acids. Now, right away, that's like making a sour beer. So if you're making mm. like a, a Berliner Weiss or something, that would be a, a lacto-sour beer, uh, if I remember my beer facts right. In whiskey, though, um, over time, after distillation and in the barrel, those organic acids blossom into really cool flavor subtleties like fruit notes and just complexities that wouldn't happen mm. uh well a without it but b if we were in a different region so people say right what if you weren't distilling at eight thousand feet would that make a big deal I, I don't know i don't get to say for sure but we would have a different contribution of organic acid it seems like um maybe correct me if i'm wrong because i'm sure you know this better than i do but uh it seems like leopold brothers mm. they're a local uh distiller or at least colorado and they make a big deal out of out of this. Like they they really promote the fact that they're allowing yeah. the natural uh, bacteria and stuff to change and alter the 
the flavors and stuff. Yeah, I'd say like Leopold Brothers, Todd over there and their crew, absolute trailblazers there in terms of uh, bringing attention to that. And it's been done historically forever, but they're doing it in a really cool way and bringing attention to it. I'd say uh, the guys at Family Jones are doing a really mm. good job of that as well. But that's something we're big on because, uh, you know, taste of place can't necessarily be attributed to the grain easily, but specific strains of lacto that play into the full development have been isolated. And right. There have been studies in Scotland where they could say it tastes, it's got an apple note because of this. It's got, mm. you know, a peach note because of this. All right, Randy, you just got uh, 10 minutes of the show, so I hope you're happy on that. Um, now, Lenny, some of the yes. guys want to make sure you're, you're smoking a cigar. Are you, what are you smoking? Lenny is smoking the uh, Southern Draw, and he's got the uh, Desert Rose. Uh, right before the show, he was smoking the uh, West Tampa White. And um, you but got now, too into the conversation, you let it go that's out. That's all right. I no, did. I actually did too. <laughs> no, but, that, but also, uh, yeah. Mark Burns had an interesting question. He when you showed your rye, he was wondering why are most of the rye labels green? Is there is mm, there something that, that is like, a great did you question. actually think about that when you made the label? Like, uh, yeah, that, did that go into the planning process? Yeah, that's that such a good question. I'm glad he asked that because I've wondered that too. What is, what is the answer to that? I don't know. I mean. Like I think he nailed kinda... it. Yeah, I feel I, I while I like to be kind of rebellious in our processes, I feel like well, right, it's it's supposed to be green, right? Like yeah. so let's just make also uh you know, we were varying the colors, the green made sense, but also like I don't know. I, I don't I wouldn't say rye is the grassiest of the grains. I mean they're all kind of grasses in a lot of ways, but it, to me it, rye has the most grassy node. It just kinda hmm. makes right. sense to me. So it just makes sense, and it's just been that way. It's just the way we do it, damn it. All right, <laughs> All right so let's get to the uh, I what I think is just the uh, incredible uh, product that you make, Lenny. This is your um, the uh, port cask finished version of the single malt. It looks like this. This color on this thing is ridiculous. Dark. I hope I, I hope you guys can She's dark. I hope you guys can see this, but it is literally. It looks. It's almost like a Coca Cola syrup sort of um, color to it. I'll get it in the sexy cam here, folks. Uh, talk uh, real quick about this one, Lenny. What do we got here? Yeah, well, so it starts with our same American single malt. And our profile for all of our stuff, for the most part, starts out in in terms of cooperage. Uh, we go into heavy toast, number two char barrels, full-size, 53-gallon from independent state cooperage. And there's a lot on the market right now uh, with regards to toasted barrel finish. I, I'm a fan of it, but, you know, that's a little divisive. The reason why we go heavy toast i'll get to the port part in a second but uh, the reason why we go heavy toast light char again trying to differentiate so when you toast a, bar a barrel think of it as going into the oven at about 400 degrees for like 45 minutes when you char it's like blasting with fire so mm. think toasted marshmallow versus marshmallow plunged into the campfire now char does a lot of things but it builds up a carbon layer and that'll scrub some of the less desirable flavors in young whiskey but they'll also scrub some of the desirable flavors if you use really subtle uh, characteristics of malted barley like we do. So the heavy toast gives some baking spice notes. The light char preserves the grain. So we'll go minimum two years in that barrel profile for everything. So in the case of the port cask finishing a malt, gets minimum two years in heavy toast, light char, new oak, and then minimum two years in X uh, port barrels. So um, we use tawny port primarily for this one. Um, it actually goes longer than two years, so which I dig because at that point, is it really a finish? Um, you know, there's a mm. lot of mm. discussion about if finished bourbon is actually bourbon. 
I think there's more of a tradition in finishing uh, single malts. In Scotland, there's a lot of sherry finish. There is port finish. Um, so it's kind of, for us, it's a, a nod tradition, but also a defiance of tradition by going so heavy on the port. I do feel like our single malt can stand up to those fruit notes. So uh, that's why it's so dark. I mean, long time in oh, those port barrels. Yeah, it's, you're, you're gonna, when, you, when you try this, you're going to get like a, a really great uh, syrupy mouthfeel. There's like some plum notes right off the get-go. And um, it's by far, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not, I, I hate to say by far, but I thought it was just absolutely amazing when I had it. Um, so I, I hope you guys can find this at your local uh, liquor store because it is, it's, yeah, it's where, phenomenal. Where can guys uh, get this across the country? Yeah, well, uh, so we're primarily a Colorado brand okay. in that, you know, we're only putting out 200 barrels a year uh, typically. But uh, so all over Colorado, for any Colorado listeners, uh, the liquor laws for shipping whiskey are super tricky, but we've yeah. kind of figured that out. If you go to deerhammer.com, you can order it from our website. It's actually shipped from a retailer in California, but it does work. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, you can order it that way. So there you go, go folks. You can get a try it there. Or when we come back from the commercial, I've got some whiskey terms that I want uh, Lenny to explain because they're <laughs> ones that you hear all the time. And uh, some of you guys are going to know them, and some of you guys might not, but it'd be good to know. And then we are going to do some blind tasting in the second part of the show. Um, so we'll do that as well. But in the meantime, folks, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. Enjoy the best prices on your favorite brands such as Romeo and Julieta, Monte Cristo, Crown Heads. Big day for them today. Davidoff and many more. Make sure to try one of their exclusive lines such as the Drew Estate Nightshade or the limited edition Cigar Dojo 10th Anniversary Champagne by Perdomo. Celebrate over 50 years of excellence. Stock up on your favorite cigars today. By the way, folks, there are some of those Perdomos left over, um, so but they're running out. So if you want another box of our 10th anniversary champagne, you got to order it quick or you're going to miss out entirely. This is episode 348 of Smoke Night Live. We're chatting with Lenny Eckstein of Deer Hammer Distilling Company. We're having a good time. Lenny drove up to join us in studio. Lenny, I got some whiskey terms for you, my friend. Um, let's just go through these real quick. Um, when somebody says... Uh, straight bourbon. What, what does that mean? So it means minimum two years, uh, no flavors or colors added. And, uh, that's kind of the gist of it. Any of these that I have or anybody's in the U S that can be a straight. Okay. Yeah. Any, all right. Fair enough. Bottled and bond. Bottled and bond. That's an interesting one. So, uh, back in the day, there was a lot of shenanigans going on and <laughs> shenanigans. But yeah. Bottled and bond was an effort to say, uh, this represents a quality product being put out. So, uh, at least, uh, four years maturation, uh, made in one distilling season, 100 proof. Um, it was basically a sign of quality. It was uh, to be matured in a government-bonded warehouse. Now, this is an interesting thing. Fast forward to modern times, people ask me all the time, like, so the government like comes in your warehouse and check? No, they don't. Uh, back in the day, <laughs> I think you needed to have an office for a government employee that might come by right. anytime. But uh, it's loosened up a bit, but you still really need to conform to those standards. Do you have to have an area in the distillery that's the bonded stuff? Yes, you do. And, uh, you know, the, our, we have two facilities. Our distillery that has a bonded section that's walled off. Okay. And uh, that's where anything non-tax paid occurs. 
and our barrel rack house, which also uh, anything that's non-tax paid, as in the barrels themselves. So the concept behind bonds is the government wants to make sure that they get their tax per proof gallon. I forgot what it is, like $3.50 per proof gallon. Uh, so if anything happens, they still are able to get their taxes. Okay, hmm. interesting. All right, and the next three are kind of related, maybe not. Uh, we'll start with the first one, single barrel. Um, and the, oh, I'll, just, I'll just do the next three all together. Uh, single barrel, cask strength, barrel strength. Um, single barrel, I'm, I'm guessing that that doesn't necess- isn't necessarily cask strength or barrel strength necessarily. It just comes from a single barrel, but could it be proofed down? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely could. And and kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Okay. Uh, folks, oftentimes with cask strength or barrel strength, there, there's not necessarily something written that says you cannot dilute down as it came out of the barrel. Uh, I, I mean, we don't. I think most distillers don't, but you can a little bit. Right. Uh, it's it's not can. a that that particular phrase single barrel doesn't necessarily mean it's just coming straight out of the barrel. No, I I mean I think it I think it should. And that's kind of our okay. take on it. Um but what I would say is like, you know, the the term blending gets a bad rap in a lot of ways. And that's usually the term that's associated with when, you know, if I'm going to put together a batch of bourbon for example, like that one came together last week. Uh you know, and we do pretty small batches that blend together just because of our scale. If we put six barrels in, are, we are blending those barrels together. But, you know, historically, it might have been called vatting. Um, mm. So a single barrel would be one barrel that we harvest, and that goes right into the bottles. We would not prove it down. Uh, technically, I suppose you could. Um, cast strength, barrel strength. Those Are those the same? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, uncut, full strength. So that's just coming straight out of the barrel. That you're getting the 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 product right out of the barrel into the bottle. Is that correct? You know, I'd have to look, but I believe there's no government standard in the uh, super interesting uh, beverage alcohol manual that they issue that speaks to exactly what that has to be. But I think common consensus is, uh, yeah, out of the barrel, what you put into the barrel is what comes out of the barrel. Okay, so now to bring this full circle, because I'm curious – could a cask strength or a barrel strength be blended as long as they yeah. didn't have any, they weren't distil, uh, diluted down? Well, it wouldn't be a single barrel at that point. It wouldn't be single barrel, but it could still be yes. cask. So like, it's weird because you could have, it's it's almost like the opposite of what we just talked about. Like you could mix, it just, it, they, it was the strength of those barrels. Yeah. Is like, that so true? If it's a, yeah, exactly. So it could say, Barrel strength, and maybe you know, getting into semantics, you should say barrels strength. <laughs> that would be the fix. Oh, let's. That's that. Okay. Barrels. Strength. Let's. Can we trade trademark that, Jordan? Barrels strength. I think that should I be a thing like that we do with with you at some point, Lenny, in yes. the future. Barrels. Uh, quick strength. comment, yeah. Joshua Rivas. Uh, he wants to know what you think about rapid aging. Oh man. I'm fascinated by it. I've never had it. So you were uh, talking like uh, Ocean Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> whatever. Ocean's right? Eleven, <laughs> Jefferson's yeah, Ocean, Ocean, right? Like uh, they in the they're letting or smaller barrels. Oh, I barrels. think he means like fast aging. Yeah, like uh, Ozzy Tyler was known for it. Um, God, there's a bunch of others. There was one out of uh, Ohio. I forgot the name of the company. So here's what always happens. I mean, I've always expressed interest whenever the subject comes up, and anyone who's had is like, no, you don't want to try it. I'm like, I do. I, I, you know, I, I tried a non-alcoholic bourbon uh, last year. and Yeah, we've tried that. Goodness. It, it was like a weird iced tea. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, wait. Did you? Are we talking about non-alcoholic? Yes, as you that, said. Oh, okay. It's not That's the it's weirdest the, thing. I feel like does not. I feel like I could make a a non-alcoholic bourbon better than the ones I've tasted. I, I, I'm I'm sorry, but like I, that was just not. It yeah. wasn't even in the range of what I would expect it to taste like. Yeah, I mean, but like the rapid aging stuff, I don't, I don't quite get it. I, I, I don't think it's possible, but I'm always game to try it. And I'm like, my approach to everything is usually finding the merit because, you know, what if they did a rapid age product and we all taste it? We're like, whoa, that misses the mark. Is there anything good there? What if they mm. put it in a barrel then and let it sit for five years and maybe it would taste like something right. that mm-hmm. could have been ten years? All right, uh, last term, mash bill. Oh, mash bill. So uh, mash bill, grain bill, uh, sometimes it's referred to. It's really like the recipe, the formulation, the percentage of grain that amounts to uh, each particular whiskey. Uh, so how you put it together and you get some that so, are that's like the Yeah, the recipe essentially. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, those are good good answers. Thank you, Lenny. Uh, here's a quickie for me. This this one really this, – this question to me is I think the most interesting question for me personally – about uh, whiskeys, bourbons, and so on and so forth. Like in the cigar uh, business, you know, you can roll cigars, you can kind of try them right, right then, and then you know, you put them in an aging room for a couple of years. But you have a pretty good idea of what they're like, you know, off the rolling floor. I mean, you, you kind of have to have, you know, obviously some, you know, expertise in what it's going to taste like after aging and that kind of thing. And with beer, obviously, in the beer world, you know, uh, folks are making beers over the course of a couple of weeks. Uh, but whiskey is so different in that it's going to be years, Lenny, before the final product is is complete. How do you know in in that early stages after distilling that maybe you made a mistake? Is is there is there easy ways to tell that that early liquid that's being distilled out that is it, this is going to make for a good bourbon? I mean, what what does that take to understand where you're at at that early stage? Because you might not get to sell this for four years down the line there's sort of some cheat codes here and okay okay so one is pot stills now that's not to say pot stills make the best whiskey although i'm a big fan of the style that comes off a pot still they're less refined they let more oils through i find them to be a little more grainy and gritty um it's the old world way of doing it but what's nice about pot still is that the unaged distillate off a pot still tastes pretty nice Mm. so you get a good indication of the you know the the white spirit coming off once it hits about you know like seventy to seventy five percent alcohol you get a really good indication of where it's going to be um, you know it's a big question because you don't know fully so you're t- taking some chances but there's so many parts there's so many impactful parts the the cut you take you know if you for example like we yield approximately fifty gallons per batch well that is for our maturation profile going into a heavy toast, light char barrel for four to five years or even less in, in current terms because right now we uh, will pull as young as like three and a half years if it's good. Um, if we were making something that need to sit for 10 years, we'd have to take a wider cut. Um, if you take that wider cut and taste it off the still, it's going to taste bad. Mm. It needs that barrel time. It needs the charred barrel. So- how, how often do you – realize or what you know you you're you're distilling and you're like oh like something about this isn't right is that is that a, a thing that happens or mm. or not really or is it pretty much you know you got it down to a science now and you kind of know what you're going to get i mean our processes are pretty 
solid at this point, but you know, throughout the throughout our time, or if we're doing something new, or if we a piece of equipment broke. Oh, here's a good example. Actually, I brought you a sample of it. Um, we had our I think our chiller went down. So basically, when we're mashing, uh, we bring it basically up to boiling, and then we have to bring our mash down to about 70 Fahrenheit for fermentation temps. Well, our chiller broke, so we couldn't. So we let that mash sit for two days, which is very similar to the process in beer for kettle souring. But nobody really does that in distilling. It's, mm. just, it's kind of a waste of time, and nobody, as far as I know, has ever done that experiment. Uh, and we did that out of necessity because our equipment broke. Well, it turns out that rye, that it's only two years old now, but it's got so much flavor compared to our other ryes. Um, you know, so that was something that coming off the still, we weren't quite sure about going into the barrel. We weren't quite sure, but it was already in process. <laughs> right. <to do> it. <laughs> you're, um, you're going for it. Yeah. And you yeah. can mix some of these things to bring other flavors out. Like you were talking with the ryes and whatnot, like, yeah, if oh, you have you know, to. A really good example, though, of something that was just flat out wrong off the still. Uh, every once in a while, if a winery gives us a product like to make, so grain makes whiskey, fruit makes brandy. Um, we got some cider once that was, we came to find out was high in volatilic acid. And the aroma coming off the still, like, like you can say something smelled like knock you over strong. This <laughs> literally, like, knocked you back, almost made us, you, you could pass out. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> It was crazy. So that was one that, I don't know, we knew something wasn't up. Something I always, right. I always figured like, you know, you, you, those, those, you know, the buff traces of the world and those like super old, you know, they've just got to have this like old dude who's like, you know, just done it for like yeah. 60 straight years. And he just, you know, tastes it and he's like, all right, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what we want. Like barrel that sucker, you know? Well, I think you're right. And I, I, to me, like, I think that's where master stealer really comes into play. Somebody that's seen it all. Right. And can taste something like, let me tell you what's off with this. Right. Um, you know, again, like we've made mistakes in the past, but it doesn't really, we, our procedures are pretty locked down. So, right. yeah. So once, yeah, once, once you've got that sort of procedure going, if you're, you're pretty confident in, in where you're going to go from there. And then you, it's just a matter of what you do with it after that. Uh, all right, so here's a, here's an interesting thing. In cigars, Lenny, you, if you take like a, if you go on like a cigar safari with Drew Estate, or you go to uh, Camp Camacho with Camacho and Donley Honduras, or you go to the Davidoff factory, you do the Perdomo tour, there's something about, you know, like being there at the factory and like they talk through the whole process and you go through the whole spiel. And it's almost impossible to not just have this love for that product from then on out. And I know you guys do distillery tours and i sort of feel the same way because recently we did laws, we did the laws tour and I wasn't like a big fan of laws. Um, so I know you guys do a distillery tour. How, how do you feel that that plays into, you know, brand building and, and making people have a love for your product and introducing them to this product so that they get to, you know, have that sort of warm, you know, nostalgic feeling when they see your product on the shelf. I think that's a pretty powerful thing bringing folks through there and showing them the the effort that you put into this product i couldn't agree more and i'm personally i'm a sucker for constantly going on distillery tours not just to see how they do it but you know to get the full experience because that's part of it it's a, it's a handmade product what i love to do on our tours uh whether i give them or i you know i have my crew doing it and i really let them know is you know give let people have the experience they can't get anywhere else and that's not just seeing you know and the big guys do this too you know if you ever uh go on the tour at Maker's Mark, uh, pre-COVID anyway, they used to let you up in the fermenter and like scoop in there and check it out and hold it in your hand and mm. sniff it, taste it. 
uh, very hands-on. We'll do that with our grain. You know, we show people our milling operation. I'll have them chew on the grain, especially the barley. Chewing on rye and corn is terrible. It <laughs> breaks your teeth. Breaks your teeth. Um, yeah, not a good idea. But uh, yeah, we let them do that. If it's a very small tour, um, you know, and no OSHA inspectors around, I'll have people climb up the ladder and peer into the fermenters. You know, get a, a, the aroma from different stages of the ferment. Um, if our still is running, again, small tour. I don't do this for everyone, but like we'll crack open our spirit safe and let people taste the distillate right off, and like you mm. know, just dip their finger in there, see what it tastes like. Um, you know, I just get a kick out of, uh, you know, we'll fill our barrels at the distillery and then we truck them over to the rack house. But when they're sitting there, it's always fun to like let them sniff the whiskey that just went into the barrel. And after they're excited about that, we point out they just sniffed a bunghole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is the technical that's term, the joke. right? Yeah. That's, so. that's the money joke right there. You just sniffed Now, a just bunghole. be clear, you yeah. said you weren't a fan of laws, but you, like you meant like you, you were after you went to this, the distillery, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. I, I I never thought much of laws, but then when I went on the tour uh, with Mickey Peg and we and Jordan, you were there. Like I, there was something about the, the, how they described the, their process, and like it made me a fan of the of the product. And that's a to me that was like wow, this is so powerful because it just goes to show you like the, what this tour can do. Yeah, all of a sudden you have a new appreciation. You can understand what they're actually where about, they're coming from. Right, where they're coming from. Like that that the story, the narrative changed my opinion of their product. And so that like that's huge. All right, let's do some blind tasting. So here's what we we got. Um me and Lenny in front of us, we have four glasses of whiskey or bourbon. We don't even know what they are. They could be it could be scotch, I suppose. We don't really know. So we're going to taste 1 through 4. We'll we'll then we're going to put them in order uh as to how we uh, like them the most and then we'll uh reveal them. Are those in order, Matt? I can't read the numbers. One's on this side. One's on that side? One's on this. All right, so that's good to know cuz yeah. you're going to pull that bag off. All right, so let's start with number 1, Lenny, and um see what we got on the nose here. Okay. What are we working with, boys? What are we working with? Fine yeah. nose and glasses. Let's see here. Yeah, these are <laughs> yeah. these are these are uh, crystal. I actually I actually just cracked this when Some I of squeezed the it a little bit. Plastic in Colorado. <coughs> Sorry. I mean, Jeez. Um. All right. So, number one, I don't think it's very strong. I don't think it's very strong. I'm cheating here. Going into a nose and glass. Huh. But getting- it's. It um, it tastes pretty standard, pretty solid. Like there's nothing wrong with it. I'm getting um, some cookie dough notes on the nose again. Cheating with my nose and glass. But, yeah. uh, See, he's actually giving us real notes. Well, of course, like, he's the expert. I'm just a dummy. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Oh, how yeah, to do it this. tastes like a uh, whiskey. It tastes yeah. like whiskey to me. Like this. <laughs> tastes like cigar. <laughs> a cigar tastes like a cigar. No, it, I mean it's pretty. It's pretty standard. I think this is a standard offering. That's what What's I, the body like? Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I didn't taste it yet, but like on the nose, definitely like some hay and cookie dough. I'll check out the flavor. Okay. All right. I'll remember that. Dip your toes. Little dippy dippy. Now remember, you got to put them in order from one to four, as, as to how you like them. I'm gonna move to number two. This is the, by the way, just so you guys are aware, this is the worst possible part of a podcast to watch guys taste stuff. You make some swishing sounds. <laughs> yeah. See if that's... Uh, we'll go through these pretty quick. <laughs> All right, number two's got to be a scotch. It's got to be some type of a scotch. It's buttery. I like it. Pretty good for a scotch. I think. 
You you tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, are you on number two? I am on number two. Yeah, okay. yeah. I I do think you're right. Um, to me, uh, I was I was get not necessarily attributed to scotch, but th- this has a flavor of like a very wide cut, which isn't a bad thing. But like, uh, so I get like more of a tails note that's been matured for a long time. Wide cut was was yeah. Describe so, that. So when uh, a pot still or or column still, but a pot still starts running, it might start running at like. 88% alcohol. And that starts diminishing as the ethanol is coming over and you're removing the majority of it. And it starts to tail down, taper down. Um, I find that the nicest cut for my own whiskey comes into play around like 75% alcohol. So those early runnings aren't necessarily the nicest part. And you can discard those or you can redistill them. Those usually are referred to as the heads. Uh, the hearts are the choice that you make. Um, and at a certain point, you get from the hearts down to the tails, which is the more watered down part. Oftentimes it's anywhere from like 45% alcohol and on down. Um, but some tails are nice. There's good oily qualities in there. And if something's going to be matured for a long time, you'll want typically some of those wider cuts, some of the tails, maybe some of the heads. Mm. Um, so that's the discretion and kind of the art of who's mm. you know, the, the distillery's product. Yeah, that's okay. that's sort of something that I've almost never heard anybody describe ever until right now. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Thank you for that. It's a thing. All right, I'm going to try number three. Let's see what we get. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> very sweet. Number three is very sweet. But that could be comp- just because I'm comparing it to number two. I'm it almost. Number three. You can always delve back into the yeah. number one, you know? Yeah, I'm going to put this right here. I'm going to go to number four. Well, let Lenny I, I'm just dive into number three. I'm, Goodness. I'm yeah, go, behind, I gotcha. go ahead and tell folks okay. what you got from number three. Uh, three, uh, I, I would think that that's a more uh, American product. Um, I don't think a rye, maybe a bourbon. I got like kind of lower proof, I'm thinking, like in the 80 range. Uh, number four seems spicy. Hmm. Yeah. A little peppery, not super spicy. Like, uh, a little peppery, yeah. yeah. A little peppery. All right, so uh, go See ahead and sum up each one just in right. like one word. All right, so I'll sum up each one. Number one. I'll do mine first, and then we'll let Lenny do after me. Yeah. Because that's really what people want to hear. Yeah. All of a sudden, number one tastes more spicy to me. Hmm. Um, number two, buttery, but it's got a little peat, a little peaty in there, a little peat note in there. Number three. Oh, I'm te- I'm terrible at this. <laughs> I'm terrible. At Once this. you get past two, it's <laughs> I know like, it's so they're, hard. they're all whiskey. I don't know. All right. Oh, number four has got a really weird flavor. I'm going to m- move it down on my favorite lists. Um, Joshua Rivas says number four is a rye. Even the commenters know. Okay. <laughs> um. So I, I have, all right, go ahead and give us from one to four, give us a quick description. Uh, so I'm back to four. I've never moved this fast. Right but I'm, I'm down. It's like a speed. It's a speed dating speed round. Date. Speed dating. <laughs> <Lenny>. <laughs> Okay. By the way, Lenny, what is on your uh, 
What would, what would you say your number one most listened to song on your iPad is? Ooh. iPad? Uh, uh, I mean, of all time. iPhone. Man, I've been listening to uh, Cheat Codes lately, which uh, came out. It's, a, it's a Black Thought from the Roots and mm. Danger Mouse. Nice. Uh, I've been go. listening to that. And I don't listen to full albums often. Uh, and you asked about a song. I've been listening to that one on repeat. Okay, really, really I, I think we're more album guys over here yeah. as well. Yeah, I tend to. Uh, I, I like you, to. I like to. Like anybody can whole... make a song. If you can make an album, I can get behind that. Yes. It's sad that we don't think of them as albums anymore. I still like, do. I do too. I really do. All right. So, uh, all right, go for it. What do we got? One through four. Give us a quickie. Well, descriptor. I mean, I, I can go in preference, and it, God, again, it's so tough because like. You know, I think at one point we were discussing the first one you go to, you know, usually jumps out with some good stuff. And then mm-hmm. by the time you get through, it kind of mutes out. And if you flip them, is the you know your least favorite gonna jump with some good stuff? Right. Um, man, I I, uh, I spend a lot of time typically when I'm sampling and right. come back a day later. This is totally unfair to do this to you. No, no, so. it's, it's totally cool though. Well, um, yeah, none of them are like terrible or anything. Don't no, worry about yeah. that. Um. I actually think the scotch is not my least favorite. I like the sweetness of number three. Like, you just assume there's a scotch in there. I don't know if it's a scotch. I, I'm not. Tastes like sold, scotch to me. But it could be. There's so many. Let's see. Back on number one. Mm. Number one's like uh, kind of grittier, grainier. Um, I'm still getting kind of a doughy note from it. A little flat in. Better not be my stuff. If it's deer hammer, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> no, we, we wouldn't do that to you. We wouldn't do that to you. No, we would not okay. do that to you. It's okay. Uh, let's see. Number two. Whatever this one is is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> no, we would not do a gotcha. We're not gonna do a gotcha to you, Lenny. That will not happen on the show. I'm, I'm liking number two. Is that the one that we were saying might be? Uh, that's one I. That's one that I thought was a, a, a scotch. Mm. That's. I mean. And, and believe me, my palate on whiskey is not great. So I, uh, I you know, it, it's definitely number two is more floral on, on the flavor anyway. The aroma I'm not getting a ton, but flavor wise, flavor flavor wise, number two is the most floral of the bunch. Is that yeah. the one you said that had the wide? Uh, yeah, I did gamut? say like kind of uh, tailsy ish. Okay. Yeah, maybe right. the oils contributing to that. So if you had to put these, I'll I'll say while you're putting yours in order, Lenny, I'll put mine in order of what <laughs> I like to. And by the way, I actually like all of these. Um, so this order isn't uh, telling too much on the what I don't like. I would put number two as my least favorite. Then I would go number one. Then I go number four. And then I go number three. Three is num- the best. Three, okay. right? That's the way I have it. That's what I'm saying on three, anyway. Oh, wow, we agree on three. Yeah, yeah, I like. I, 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 all of a sudden, I feel vindicated. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's, maybe Lenny has a, a spot for me down there in uh, <laughs> Buena Buena Vista. Buena. <laughs> Lenny, didn't you say if we came to your distillery, like you, we could just drink out of the bourbon barrels like with a straw I, I, I did say that I'm glad you remembered that that was uh, that's not necessarily part of our tour but I, I thought about throwing in something we do, do I just want to drink from your bunghole um, <laughs> with a straw yeah with a straw yeah, that's, uh, that's horrible oh, uh, how, how close are you do you think you, you've got uh, I'm getting there 
That's right. I had no, two no up rush. there, but I'm gonna move that. You know, by the way, and Jordan said this earlier. Remember Jordan when we did the um the blind tasting of really bad whiskeys? We did like the cheapest, like seven to like nine dollar ones. Yes. It's hard because it, you get into like like you said, like the third one or so, and, it, and oh yeah, you taste two, and then all of a sudden they all blend together. But right. I, but the the in my experience when you're doing that, like let the body drive it, mm, you know, because yes. if that, let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Mm-hmm. At, even though they, they all start to blend together, the bodies don't. Right. So trust that. Okay. Yeah, I was just glancing over at yours. I was trying to see if I should rearrange because I didn't want to end up with the same as you did. That's okay. That just means I'm a genius. Yeah. Well, we're pretty similar thing so far. We'll see if it gets rearranged a bit more. Don't look at his. You don't have to trust him. I do <laughs> like this buttery note on number three. All right, what do you got? How's your how's yours ranking? All right, so in order of preference, uh, down the road, none of them are like you know making me run away. Okay. I got three, four, two, one. You've got three, four, two, one. I've got two, one, four, three. No, oh. you both start with three, didn't you? Are you talking about? He he started with his best. Oh, okay. Yeah, so my best, best is three, four, one, two. My least favorite's two. Hmm. So, uh, that's Matt. That's number one over there. All right, let's reveal number one, Lenny. Go ahead and pull the bag off of number one. Oh, Elijah Craig. Elijah Craig, the toasted barrel. Toasted barrel. Oh, man. Bring it out. So that was my second to least favorite? Oh, man, what a dork I am. Toasted barrel. Wow. I I had that the other day, and I was kind of surprised. It was not quite as good as I had hoped it was going to be. Okay, so in a blind taste, I put that second to last. Where did you have that one, Lenny? last. You had it last. Yeah. Wow. wow. Interesting. Elijah Craig, Toasted Barrel. All right, let's go to uh, number two, which I'm going to guess is a scotch. Oh, it's like a ja- – is that the Japanese – is it a Japanese whiskey? So on the same vein, basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. Scotch from another country. There we go. Scotch from another country. <laughs> All right. Um. I feel I, – now I feel a little vindicated <laughs> yeah, there, Jordan. Yeah, you were, I know you were on the right page, but you were so adamant that it was a scotch. But though. there's definitely a peaty note in there, a little bit of a peaty note in there. Yeah, I don't no, know. I wasn't picking it up initially, but – No? It's not I peaty, but it's got that, that malty – all right, but I believe like Suntory and uh, Bowmore are same ownership, so I think they get there right, like, mm. same place. All right, so now my favorite was number three, which is next. What is number three? Oh, oh the uh, High West, okay, High West Double Rye, the Double Rye. You picked that as number one. I did. Wow, I did as well, and so did Lenny. Oh, you both did. Yeah. So by the that's way, kind of, that's a blend, right? That that has. Um, by the way, like, I, met, I met that guy. He's super. Oh no, cool that's guy. just oh, yeah. double. That's double. Yeah. just yeah, a new I mean, label. Nice. Uh, Very I, I nice. I wouldn't have pegged it as a rye necessarily. I don't know what the rye per- percentage is in there. But He's uh, a cool guy. Yeah. Wears a cowboy hat. Super cool. Guy. <laughs> All, right. All right. What was number four? The four. Oh, so our, our oh, wow. that Noah's Mill. All right. You know what's crazy about? I can't no- believe you guys didn't pick that as number one. That's you crazy. know what's crazy about Noah's Mill, is Lenny in Vegas you can get Noah's Mill for like thirty nine dollars. Yeah, it, distribution stuff. But here it's like seventy. Right, okay. and so I, I feel oh. pretty good. I feel pretty good about my picks because so now like retell the picks. Right. now we know where they are. So my least favorite was number two, which was the Japanese whiskey. And what about you? My least favorite was number one, which was the Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel. Mm-hmm. My next favorite, least favorite, or my next least favorite was the Elijah Craig, which was your least favorite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, toss up here. They're very yeah. different, obviously. But like where I was getting that kind of doughy note, makes sense. You know, toasted barrel gives it like that bready character. Mm. 
Okay. And then my next two was the uh, Noah's Mill, and then my top was the Rye from High West. Interesting. Oh no, I, I, I did not meet the High West. I met the High West guy, but I was thinking of the. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I knew Aaron from Smoke Wagon. Yeah, yeah. I was. Well, I, I first saw that bottle, and then Cowboy maybe. Hat, yeah, Turquoise. that's who I was thinking of. The yeah. High West guys, they're in Utah. You've met so, them both. Yeah, I've met them both. Uh, cool guys. Cool. Interesting though that we um, three and four were both um, our favorites, right? Yeah, yeah. Three I, and four. I think, uh... Yeah, I thought you would have gone with the nose mill. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I gotta say that. Now wait, uh... was four the double rye? <laughs> we're so confused. Four no, was four was nose mill. Oh, okay, gotcha. God, this that, is, that came this is the worst thing? podcast <laughs> all time. Don't listen to this one. Just watch it. You gotta watch this one. <laughs> but the bottom line is this. Lenny, I'm super excited that I was able to pick out the scotchy oh, one. So yeah. Mark Burns says, aren't all the barrels toasted? And you kind of went over this earlier. Mm, yeah. There, There's a difference between the toasted and the charred, right? Right. Well, So a couple things. I'm not sure if I'm going to answer this question right. But, you know, like this Elijah Craig toasted barrel, uh, no knock on it other than I ran it, rated it last. But uh, <laughs> it sucks. They're, they're taking their, their product, which they have like Rick houses packed with, and creating a, an alternate, you know, skew in this where they'll divert it to a toasted barrel for I don't know six months, give or take, um, and that that is a trend right now. It's something that uh, Deerhammer did, and we're not the only ones. A lot of small distilleries, and even oh, uh, so so we do uh, a heavy toast first, and then a light char, and that's our primary maturation. So it's both toasted and charred. And what mm. that lets happen in the barrel is that the toast softens up the layers of the wood. So you don't have to char as deep. So you still get the whiskey going deep into the wood to get to those lignins and vanillins and break down all the compounds in the wood to bring the flavor without having so much char. Now, um, where am I going with this? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that That's our take on it. Um, very different than a toasted barrel finish, I suppose. Okay. Mm. So, uh, Lenny, if, if, if folks want to get into uh, Deer Hammer, give it a try. Um, what are your recommendations? Uh, where should they start? Um, if they're a, uh, let's just say they're somewhere in the middle, uh, they, they kind of understand and like whiskeys, they're into it. Maybe they're not experts. Um, where would you recommend they start? I mean, I'm always going to go to our American single malt. Uh, it, it kind of like, it's our cornerstone. It's not, yes, it's what we make the most of, but it's, it's why we started Deer Hammer. It's what we put all of our heart into. And I think that, you know, American single malt, it's not going to take over the world, but, as it gets uh, kind of fleshed out to uh, an official category, you know, the big guys are working on this. I know Jim Beam's making it. Jack Daniels is making some. And uh, somebody pointed out to me an interesting aspect. Because American single malt, as it's going to be defined, doesn't require charred new oak as the other styles do for the most part, what does that mean for the big brands that have all these barrels that are continuously rolling out as they dump their bourbon in the rye? And they would typically ship those barrels over to Europe Hmm. Uh, what if they can get one more turn out of them by making an American single malt age in those barrels for another seven to 10 years? You know, I, I, I'd love to see that happen. And, you know, I was chatting with Freddie Noel over a year ago at Jim Beam and, you know, they, they've got their, uh, James B. Beam distillery, the smaller version that they have where they can do more craft stuff. They're making some American single malt from what I hear. And, uh, hmm. I think, uh, maybe some of that went into their, uh, little book that just came out. You know, a lot of that. Oh, right. That's a long way of saying. Try our single malt. I think there's a lot of really cool American single malts out there. We're going into uh, new charred 
toasted charred new oak, uh, as I was discussing. But I think it kind of blends, uh, you know, while some people might not be super up on scotch or some people are, um, I feel like it melds an American style, like the bourbon style with those multi characteristics. Um, you can try all our stuff, but I think that's the go to. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I would say um, I thought the, the single malt uh, blew me away. And then the uh, the cask finish, yeah. the port cask finish the, the was port's my jam was absolutely out of this world um but it might be fun to, to start with like like lenny said the single malt and then work your way up to the portcast finish uh where do you see uh deer hammer 10 years from now what, what's what's the goal here what what do you want to be where do you want to go i mean we're, we want to be available to the people i mean we want to do our damn thing and my goal from day one was always to you know like i, I mentioned this earlier but like have people take a sip and be surprised and pleasantly surprised ideally um so, but the trick there is having people be able to get it. So, in a perfect world, direct consumer shipping happens for small brands, and somebody can just hop on our website. We can ship it right to them. But in absence of that, uh, we're in the middle of expanding into other markets in the country. So, we're going into Missouri, particularly St. Louis, in a couple of weeks. Looking at New England, uh, California, you know, looking at different markets and just getting into those shops where they carry, you know, craft brands and really cool bottles. So. Uh, yeah, you know, that port cask finish, that's one that can be ordered online now. And I, I'd be lying if, like, when I have people come into the rack house and we do actually have straws and we do sip out of the barrels, yeah. uh, <laughs> we, I usually direct people right towards one of our old port barrels that has single malt that's been sitting there for four to five years. Uh, it's a fun sip. So, yeah. Somebody was wondering um, if you're in total wine. Yeah, you are. Uh, well, actually, I, re- I don't want to, I don't want to jump on you here, but. Um, I was at the brand. We have a brand new Total Wine, Jordan, yes, just down do. the street. It's literally just opened. I went there for the first time the other day to get the uh, beer for Flavor Odyssey, and they had uh, Lenny's product in there. And they have a fantastic bourbon section. We normally stop at Total Wine when we go to Vegas. Like the, as soon as we get off the plane, we go right to Total Wine. But uh, they have a new one here in Colorado, and they had the uh, you ha- they had your full lineup. So that's super cool. Yeah, Total Wine's a great shop. Uh, we're in the Colorado Hill Wines. We're in at least one or a few California. And like I said, I mean, it's it's a trick to get into all these states, but we're working on it. And I think into 2023, uh, folks outside of Colorado, especially in some of the, I don't want to say major markets. It's I, I got to be real. It's the markets I feel like traveling to. Mm-hmm. So uh, Southern California, Louisiana, like mm-hmm. where, wherever it's warm in the winter, <laughs> Florida, that's probably where we're going to pop up soon. Uh, but I we're like doing the, our best. I like the Florida idea. I'm- yeah, I'm there all the time. Uh, Lenny, I can't tell you how great it was having you uh, join us on a Friday night and driving up uh, to join us for the show tonight, brother. Yeah, yeah, man. Appreciate From it, Buna, man. Buna Vista. Be- Beautiful Be- Buena Vista. Buena Vista. Right? Buena Vista. Uh, um, so, guys, here's the deal. If you're in Colorado, uh, set up a tour with Lenny. Go down, check it out. Or maybe set up one with us. We'll all go down together. That would be a blast. Uh, we'll do that together. That would be fun. Lenny, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, Wednesday night flavor odyssey we're back it's gonna be robbie and randy yes you heard that right robbie will be back what? on flavor odyssey <laughs> he's had a he's he's been on uh he works for a company that does corks yeah yeah he works so uh but he'll be back uh from his trade show and it's at dunkles i said that right it's Dunkles, not mm. Dunkles. It's Dunkles, Lenny. Dunkles. Just, so, just so you know. Uh, we'll be uh, pairing cigars with the uh, 
Cloister? <laughs> Cloister? Nice. Is that is that how you say it? I don't know. Cloister? Cloister Barack <laughs> Dwinkle. Dwinkle. God, man, I, re- I totally destroyed that. Anyways, uh, find a Dwinkle. <laughs> dwinkle. Don't do a live bur- uh, bourbon tasting. <laughs> no, don't do that. Uh, find yourself a, a, a Dunkle um, and uh, dunkle. do the best pairing you can with that. Maybe you'll be a winner. Maybe you'll be the audience winner on the show. But Robbie and Randy will be going head-to-head trying to pick the best pairing uh, for that style of beer. It's Oktoberfest, as you know, Lenny. And so we'll be doing uh, four weeks of that. Last week we did the, I can't even say it, the Weinstoffer. Was that what it was, Matt? The Weinstoffer? We did the Weinstoffer. That was a fun episode. Uh, that was actually a really good beer. A lot of banana notes in that. Um, you know what's crazy, Lenny, is we were talking on Flavor Odyssey about how when we all got into craft beer, it was like all of these... Um, European, German beers, English beers, Samuel Smith, all that. That was like the thing. And then just like American beers just like steamrolled over. But it's fun now. It's kind of like when you're into cigars, like you you, you you start with maybe some more mild cigars, then you're onto the Maduros. But then you come back to, to Connecticut and stuff to try that, to get those subtle flavors. I feel the same way about beer. Like now I'm, ha- I'm having fun coming back. To those Definitely. European beers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that's that is the journey, and that's the fun of it. Right. Know? And I think there are a lot of parallels, as you point out. I mean, you go hard in the paint, and then you kind of bring it back. Hard in the paint, and then you bring it nice. back. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's what we'll be doing on Flavor Odyssey this month uh, for the next uh, three episodes. We'll have a good time. I uh, don't have a show lined up for Smoke Night Live next week uh, because. Uh, I've been dealing with some other stuff, but guys, remember, <laughs> uh, get in the Scott Braban raffle. Uh, yes. We want to we want to sell as many tickets for Scotty as possible. We want to help out the family. Always makes it easier when uh, maybe a little bit of the pressure is off for Scotty. And by the way, I'm sure he's he's probably watching right now from the hospital bed. And um, he's the toughest guy I've ever met in my entire life. So he's going to be totally fine. But at the same time, it is nice to. Uh, to help out the family, make it a little easier road for them, and you might win. You might win some really cool prizes. So get into the Scotting. raffle. I'll post the um, I'll post the raffle link on dojoverse.com after the show ends. It is Friday night, Jordan. This is what we do every Friday night. You can't we help it. Out, we share the cigars that we're smoking on dojoverse.com. We check into them. We share the drinks that we're we're having, and uh, I will be having Deer Hammer all night long, mm-hmm. as you might aware be aware. And not only that, but uh, <laughs> post what you're listening to on the hashtag now playing. It's fun to uh, it's fun to listen to what guys are smoking and listening to all at the same time. Until next week, remember never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next Friday night. The Monte Cristo 1935 Nicaragua was one of the most highly rated cigars of the year. Expertly crafted by legendary blenders Rafael Nadal and AJ Fernandez, this cigar was blended to celebrate the 85th anniversary of the Monte Cristo line. It is hand rolled using all aged Nicaraguan tobaccos exclusively from AJ's farm. This bold cigar is bursting with rich notes of chocolate, leather, a dash of spice, and a smooth, creamy finish. Enjoy one of the finest cigars of the year right now at jrcigars.com. 